0: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, We are here again, uh, Rome, Church of Christ, Facebook session, um, Facebook Live on uh, John Clayton's Does God Exist lessons. Uh, We have been through 11 of these, and uh, oh, by the way, Michael, you asked me what lesson we were on. I told you 11. um, I was close. We were on 12, uh, but I figured that you would figure that out once you started looking at it. Clayton, uh, this is one of his longer uh, lessons. He he goes for more than just his usual uh, 21 to 2 to 3 minutes and, and goes uh, for 30 minutes. So uh, we will still end uh, on time. We'll just uh, regulate our comments accordingly. Um, uh, Clayton talks about uh, wh- what is our purpose here? Why are we here? And stay with him on this because he gets off on... Uh, several personal examples um, about um, his his life and the life of others um, but stay with him because his larger point is, um, is one that he makes at the beginning and then he'll come back and make at the end um, is that we are here to demonstrate to people that good overcomes evil um, and so uh, stay with him on that, and uh, let's just see what uh, we we'll see what he has to say.
1: Welcome to the Does God Exist video series, lesson number 12. If you haven't watched number 11, I encourage you to go back and watch it first, because this won't make much sense if you aren't familiar with the preliminary material. What we've tried to do is to talk about where evil comes from. What is the source of evil? And I've tried to show you that God did not create evil, that evil is not a thing. It's a choice of sentient beings we find to portray the relationship of not only ourselves to God and this question of good and evil, but of angels' relationship to God and their choice of good and evil. And this sets the scene for this discussion. Why do we exist? Why would an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God create something as dumb and as ugly as me? Why am I here? What purpose is there? for the least capable of human beings. And I think it's very important to understand that this discussion is not just dealing with people that are fit. You see, one of the difficulties that atheists, I believe, have in this discussion is that there is nothing in atheist philosophy that suggests why we are here. As a matter of fact, if you accept an evolutionary explanation for the origin of man, then survival of the fittest is the only thing that you can use to justify your life. And many, many explanations in science have been based upon the assumption that all humans want to do is to perpetuate their genes. Sociobiology. Much of the discussion of evolution and the conflict with creation Revolves around the question of can we give a reason for our existence? What I want to do in this discussion is to give you a biblical perspective of why we exist. Whether you agree with this is not so much of an issue as the point that there is a reason for us to exist from a biblical perspective. And my challenge to atheists would be, give me a, an atheistic explanation of why we exist. One that has meaning. Main saying we uh, we exist to have sex, that's not a explanation that I think most of us would feel applies to every stage of life. When you get old enough, that becomes less of an issue. Certainly, it's not the issue for the very young. And I think it's important to recognize that moral issues become a part of this discussion. From a biblical perspective, we are told that there is a war going on a war between good and evil. And the enemy, evil, uses spiritual terrorism. Now, I think it's important to understand here that a lot of times we get eye rolls from people when we talk about spiritual warfare. The fact of the matter is that every science fiction writer that's ever lived, I believe, has used this theme as the foundation of the discussion. In the series of Star Wars that goes back into the last century, if Darth Vader was not the epitome of evil, what was he? All the way back to Frankenstein and the evil scientific creator. What was the basic theme? I think all of the famous science fiction works in one way or another Deal with this. And I've had atheists say, well, your biblical discussion is too esoteric for me. And the guy's sitting there with a copy of Stephen King in his briefcase. Come on. There is a war going on between good and evil. And I think it's important to realize that the biblical perspective is that this involves us. That we have a practical part to play in this. And the Bible says this loud and clear. In Ephesians 6 and verse 12. We're told we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not where our battle is. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You read modern translation of this, it talks about evil forces in the darkness of this world. Another interesting passage that specifically talks about this being God's purpose is in Ephesians 3 beginning with verse 9 god's purpose okay this is why god created me god's purpose is that all the powers and authorities in heavenly realms should now see the complex wisdom of god's plan being worked out through the church oh there's a mountain of information there god has a purpose for us the church has a purpose The church is not a social club. The church is not some vehicle to entertain us. We don't go to worship to be entertained, or we shouldn't. The church is a viable part of God's purpose in creating us, and the church has the answer to the struggle between good and evil. I'm a public educator. I have worked in public education all my life i've been in every federal program that came down the tube early in the history of trying to address the educational problems in america i was involved in head start i was a key teacher in upward bound i had a a role in star teachers there, there were any number of wonderful programs that i was privileged to have a small part in, and i loved doing it and i think it was well worth doing and i enjoyed every minute of getting to work with kids, especially kids coming from disadvantaged situations. But you know what? None of those programs, nothing any politician does, is going to solve the problems of American education. You can throw as much money as you want at it. You can do whatever you want to in the terms of militarily controlling environment. The fact of the matter is, Until you change the hearts and the minds of men and women, you will not change the situation. God's plan is being worked out through the church. It is only through the church that we have the capacity to change the root of the problems we have in America today. And it's interesting to realize that the Bible gives us a very clear picture of this in the book of Job. And you may want to turn to the book of Job and read as I give you a Clayton paraphrase of what is said in Job 1 and Job 2. In Job 1, beginning with verse 6, we're told that there was a day when the angels of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you been? Oh, I've been hacking around the earth, going back and forth, to and fro. And God said, hey, have you seen my, my buddy Job? How about that Satan? He has nothing to do with your crummy system. <laughs> in the King James translation, it says, he ashoweth evil. I don't, I don't use that word a show" with a whole lot in my everyday conversation until so I looked it up. You know what it means? It means to run away in a panic. hey <laughs> yeah, I like that. He runs away from evil in a panic. And Satan says, well, of course he does because you bought him out. God, you bribed him. Job doesn't have any money problems. You gave him so much money he doesn't know what to do with all of it. He never gets sick. Nobody in his family ever gets sick. He never made a bad investment. His stocks never go down. He never bought a bad money market. Nothing ever happens to him that is negative. Of course, he stays with you. <laughs> You've already got him in paradise. But God, if Job was living in a real world, he wouldn't have anything to do with you. And God says, all right, okay, go ahead. Put him in the real world. i Have had it, Satan. Do what you want. But don't touch his body. Now may I point out to you it is not God that afflicts Job. Job didn't understand that. His friends didn't understand that. But it's not God that afflicts Job. Satan afflicts Job. And the bad things that happen in your life did not come from God. God does not do evil things. Nothing is more misrepresentative than when somebody has a tragedy to say this is God's will. The problem that happens in our life happen because satan brings it to us and satan has a field day with job and you know what happens so we come to the second chapter beginning with verse one again there was a day when the angels of god came to present themselves before the lord and satan was among them the lord said to satan where you been i've been a around the earth going back and forth to and fro and god says hey satan you see my buddy job how about that satan i let you have at him. You put him in the real world. Everything you said never happened to him happened. And he's still with me. And Satan says, yeah, okay, you won that one. But let me touch his body and he'll spit in your face. And God says, okay, all right. Touch his body. But don't kill him. And you know what happens. Job has terrible problems. Now, you know, you and I might look at that, we might say, well, that was a terrible thing for God to do to Job. Yeah, maybe. How did Job look at it? In Job 42 and verse 5, Job says, Lord, I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear before all this happened to me. But now, now mine eye seeth thee. And he goes on and he praises God because he understands that he has been a part of, of the struggle between good and evil, the most incredible battle, the most important cosmic battle of all of time that he has played a role. He has had a purpose that this short little bit of existence we have here on the earth, for him, has been a time to be of incredible importance. You know, you can take Job's name out of the book of Job and you can put your name in place of it. Because you are Job. Or as my wife Phyllis used to say, Jobette. (laughs) You know, I've had some things happen in my life that I don't like. I still cannot sit here today in front of you and say that I'm glad I had a baby born with multiple birth defects. I still can't go to the playground without seeing these little boys running around and, and my mind goes back to tip he couldn't play catch he couldn't play tag I got to push him in a swing so I didn't push him too high. We never got to go fishing or hunting we never had a chance to go to a baseball game you see, I was deprived of all those opportunities because of Tim's problems, Tim's handicaps. I was married to a wonderful woman for 49 years. My wife, Phyllis, was an insulin dependent diabetic from the age of 10. And if you're a diabetic, let me say something to you. You live with diabetes, not for it. We had 60 years together. 50 of those, 49 of those as man and wife. But then I lost her. I lost her. She died. And actually, she didn't die of diabetes. She died of complications indirectly connected to diabetes. But we had 49 wonderful, wonderful years together. And if you're a diabetic, live with it, not for it. Stay on the diet. Do what they tell you to do. You can have a wonderful, wonderful life. And when Phyllis died, I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to do now all the things I could never do because I was a caregiver. My mother took care of me until I was in my teenage years and then I got married and my wife took care of me. And now all of a sudden I was free of all those encumbrances. I was going to go fishing. I was going to go hike the Appalachian Trail. I was going to, you know, be the happy bachelor. And I remember I got on the Appalachian Trail and walked about five miles and then got to thinking, you know, this is a lonely thing. I, I'm not enjoying this the way I thought it would. I went fishing, caught a few fish, and then, yeah, not that much fun. And I finally hit the bottom in February of 2009. Phyllis died in May of 2008. I remember sitting in my backyard in a Michigan blizzard. I was ready to die. I remember saying to God, God, I'm done. I'm not enjoying life. My kids don't need me. They're independent. I've done everything I intended to do with the ministry. It's ready to finish. God, I'm ready to go. Take me out of here. And I guess I I sort of sat back and waited for it to happen, you know. Somebody said one time, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Well, God had a better idea. So I was traveling around giving lectures. I was scheduled in March of 2009 to do a lecture in Grand Junction, Colorado. And there was this woman who came up to me during the question and answer session and asked a question. And it flashed across my mind boy, she sure is pretty. But at my age and my physical condition, I'm about as far as win. She asked the questions, and I found out from the preacher that she had lost her husband and she was struggling. And uh, so I got her email, and I emailed her. And, and I, I do this frequently with people that ask questions because I want to continue to be helpful to them. And I was amazed that she emailed back. So I responded to her question, and, and she asked another question. And pretty soon, the emails were flying back and forth. We must have had 200, 300 emails. And they became personal. And I had a struggle at that point. My heart was saying to me, you need somebody to love. You're not doing well by yourself. You're not made to be alone. And so I started asking questions about her feelings, and she started saying that maybe she would be interested in what I might be able to present to her in the way of a ministry. And finally, I remember she uh, she was taking a nursing exam. She needed to reestablish her nursing certificate. And she was trying to study for it. And she sent me an email that said, and this was about 10 o'clock in the morning, that said, you've got to quit emailing me. I'm trying to study for this test and you're interfering with it. I'll contact you when I'm done with the test. So I thought, okay, I'll probably never hear from her again. But that's sort of what I expected anyway. And then four hours later, I got an email saying, I can't stand this. we got to talk some more. And I said to her, you know, if if God has a plan here, if you and I could ever get together, you're not going to have to take that test. Why don't you come to South Bend and see me and see my ministry and see where I go to church and see if you can handle this place? And she agreed. And she came and spent some time with some friends of mine. And I still remember when she got off the plane, and I saw this beautiful woman. And here's a picture of of Cynthia. Now Cynthia Clayton. And you can see she's a very beautiful woman. And as she got off the plane, I thought to myself, John, you stupid idiot. Nobody can fall in love with you. You're old, you're bald, you're fat, you're ugly. This is the dumbest thing you've ever done. You're just going to get hurt. There's no way she could possibly love you. Stop. You know, there's a passage in the Bible that has become important to me. It's First Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Yeah, I've met a lot of guys that had lost their wives. A lot of them that had found someone else to love. But I was bald and fat and old and ugly, and there was no way that would apply to me. The passage goes on and says, But God is faithful, who will not allow you, will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. We talked. We liked each other. She seemed to be a little interested in me, and I kept thinking, how can she possibly love me? And I came that close to breaking off the relationship because I didn't think it was possible. And Cynthia finally said something to me like, well, John, is your God so small you don't think he can work this out? I want you to notice that the passage says God will provide a way of escape. I had to make a choice. And may I suggest to you that you have to make a choice. Bad things happen. Losing my wife was a bad thing. It was horrible. It was terrible. She was the mainstay of my ministry. She was the mainstay of my life. I didn't think I was ever going to be the same. Didn't think I could ever get over it. But God provided a way out and you would have a hard time convincing myself or my wife Cynthia that God didn't have a hand in bringing us together. But I had to make a choice and you have to make a choice. A lot of times we make bad choices. The Bible says that God's will is not always done. A good example of that is is Second Peter 3 and verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish, that any should be lost, but that all should come to repentance. Is anybody going to be lost? Yes, as long as there is free choice, some will choose to reject the way of escape God has given. We all have to make a choice. And God's will is not always done. But it is important to understand that this is part of our battle between good and evil. And one unique thing that we have as Christians is that we have a God who cares. And that is different than any other religious system on the earth. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Yeah, we all know that one, don't we? Jesus wept. We're good Good on short verses. (laughs) Makes it look like we know something. Let me ask you to think about something. Why did Jesus weep? You you go back to the 11th chapter of John, which is where the story is, and you're going to see Jesus knew from the very start what he was going to do. In verse 4, Jesus said to his disciples, this will not end in death. He didn't say Lazarus wasn't going to die. He said that's not the way it's going to end. In verse 14, we're told that Jesus said Lazarus is dead. But I am glad for your sakes, so that you may believe. When we get to verse 23, and Jesus talks to Lazarus' sister, the first thing he says to her is, I'm going to bring your brother back from the dead. Well, how can she possibly understand that? And of course she doesn't. Then you get down to verse 33, when Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb. The Bible says he groaned. He was deeply troubled as he saw the pain, the loss. And then Jesus... Breaks down in tears. Verse 35. Jesus wept. See, we don't serve a God who cannot be touched with our infirmities. We don't have a God who has not endured everything we have endured. And when God saw how much it hurts to lose what you love, Jesus wept. So when you lost that baby, When your husband, when your wife died, Jesus wept. As Christians, we have a God who cares and who knows the pain and the difficulties of life. But one final point. If we understand that, then one other thing we need to understand is that all of these things that happen to us can and should become ministries. When our son was born blind, mentally retarded with cerebral palsy and muscular dystrophy, we were devastated. We were crushed. I remember the night after we finally realized how badly Tim was affected by the things that had happened to him. We went for a drive. We stopped at a discount store. My wife went in to get something. I held this little baby that I loved in my arms more than anything in the world. And I kept saying to God over and over, Lord, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I've left my parents. I've tried to clean up my life. God, how can you do this to me? And I was angry. I had an idea about how much John Clayton ought to have to stand. And as far as I was concerned, God had just stepped over the line. Now, we had some terrible decisions to make. And I know there are times in life when a human being has to be put in an institution to protect them, to protect somebody else. But we're dealing with a six-month-old baby. No threat to anybody. I kept reading John 9, 3. Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I kept reading things, like all things work to the good of them that love the Lord. There had to be an answer. There just had to be a reason. And we determined that we had to go just as far as we could with this child. We've gone through so many surgeries, I don't know the number, 20-some-odd. But Tim still has big braces up his nose. He's still blind. He still has difficulties with his retardation. I know that there are good things that have come out of this. My wife and I were closer as husband and wife. Having faced this problem together, although I've seen marriages ripped apart by this, and I know we appreciate our so-called normal children more, if there is such a thing as a normal child, <laughs> having had this abnormal situation. But you never, and you know, I never really understood what Jesus was talking about until several years later. I had a friend up in Pontiac, Michigan, named Fred Alexander, who had a family in the church there where he worked <laughs> that had a child born with the same problems as Tim had. had. And he wrote me and said, John, he said, you need to write them. I think you can help them. Now, I wish I could tell you I handled that right, but I didn't. I, it made me angry. You may find this hard to believe, but I'm a pretty private person. My idea of a, of a good time is to be on a mountain stream with a fly rod in my hand and no human inside. And I was not going to do it. And I was mad at Fred for butting into my life. But every time I sat down at the desk, there's that Don letter sitting there. And one night I sat down, I saw that letter, I thought, man, got to do something with that. And, and my wife had some little note cards sitting there about yay big. So I took out a little note card, and I thought, I'll just write a, a sweeping generalization to those people and then throw it away and forget about it. So I started writing about our experiences. And I wrote a paragraph, and then I wrote another paragraph, and then I thought about an organization that had got us some help that, uh, we really would have needed and, and I, I got that address and I sent it to him and, and then I, I wrote them about another situation that we had found for Tim, another solution to his problems and then I wrote another page and another page. Y'all you know, bet it cost me a dollar and then I let her. Because you see, I could say to this young man and his wife, look, I know what you're going through. I understand how heartbroken you are. I understand how frustrated you are. I know how much you're hurting. I've been there. Most of you cannot imagine what it's like to look at your baby that you love more than anything in the world and to realize there is no possible way your child can reach that feeblest toll. Now, some of you listening to this discussion know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. But all of a sudden, it dawned on me that I had a talent, that I had an ability that nobody I knew had. The next weekend, providentially, I was in Schenectady, New York, and there was an elder in a church that had a baby born with Down syndrome, and I was able to help him and help his wife. Six months later, I had a dear friend in South Bend that had a child born with the same handicap, and I was able to reach out to them and to help them. I have a talent. I have an ability that nobody I know has. Now, I can't go to a man that's lost his child and say, I know what you're going through. I don't know what he's going through. I can't go to someone who's got an alcohol problem and say, I know what you're dealing with. I don't know what he's dealing with. I can't go to somebody who's struggling with manic depression and say, I know what that's about. I don't know what that's about. There are a myriad of experiences I have not had. But you have. You have. There isn't an adult watching this discussion that has not had problems that are peculiar to you. You have a talent. You have an ability. What are you doing with it? Do you have it buried? You know what the Lord taught about the buried talent. Are you using the things that have happened in your life? as a tool to reach out to those who are struggling with those same difficulties. Now, it would be rank hypocrisy for me to say things like this if I wasn't practicing it. Let me ask you to do something. You somebody that has a child born with multiple birth defects? If you do, let me tell you, let me suggest something to you. Contact me and let me send you a copy of our book, Timothy, my son and my teacher, which tells our story. Of dealing with the problems of a child with multiple birth defects take it to your friend ask them to read it after they've read it ask them if they'd be interested in corresponding with us and if they say yes send us their name and address we'll write them we'll call them we'll eventually visit them if they say no thank them for reading the material take it back and return it to me there's no money involved here I'm not asking you to buy anything I'm asking you to care We have folks that have dealt with cancer, Christians, who have had to deal with that horrible disease. We have people who have dealt with children born missing major parts of their body and and the, the way in which they've been able to cope and deal with it. We have people that have dealt with being paralyzed. We have people who have dealt with diabetes. And I can help you with that when having been the primary caregiver for 49 years for my wife, Phyllis all of those books are available to you free of charge let me conclude this discussion by telling you one more story that maybe will have some meaning and some relevance to you this is not my story i have a friend who lives in blue mountain pennsylvania she's an older lady now but she tells a story about an event that happened to her when she was younger she's a, a red cross nurse and there was a terrible train wreck at blue mountain pennsylvania back in the in the 1950s with a high-speed train going from Chicago to New York, jumped the track, hit the trestle at Blue Mountain. There were 14 killed, over 100 injured. She's the first medically trained person on the scene. She tells the story that the first guy she ran into when uh, when she got to the site of the accident was a man walking around in shock. He had on a rather expensive-looking business suit, and he was saying over and over again, my instruments, my instruments, if only I had my instruments, my instruments, my instruments! If only I had my instruments, over and over and over and over again. Well, she stood up to leave him to help somebody else after she had given him first aid, and she as she started to leave him, she said, "Sir, I just wonder something." As you were walking around in shock, you kept saying, "My instruments, my instruments! If only I had my instruments!" Why were you saying that? And the man stood up and tightened his tie. He said, "Young lady," he said, "I need to introduce myself." He told her his name. He said, "I'm the head surgeon." at Johns Hopkins University Hospital. And all I could think of as I saw the terrible injuries that had been part of this horrible accident was, if only I had my surgical tools, if only I had my instruments, I could relieve the pain and the suffering that's been part of this terrible accident. And those of you who are Christians, I wonder how many times the God of heaven looks down at you and at me, looks down at the world in which we live, and cries out in frustration my instruments my instruments if only i had my instruments are you an instrument of god have you been forged according to god's plan and used according to god's purpose doesn't matter who we are doesn't matter what we are we have a reason to exist in a cosmic battle between good
0: Well that's an interesting uh, episode wasn't it um John uh, Clayton oh I would say as as I was sitting here listening uh, he preaches a little bit more uh in this one uh, than he has in the others um in the in the the others it seems like he is presenting information for us to absorb uh making an argument here and there but um he talks directly to us uh in this one and uh, the, the name of this is, uh, what was it, Why Am I Here? Why Am I Here. Why Am I Here. Um, he points to um, Ephesians, the third chapter, and before we get too heavily into uh, any other points, I wanted to read a little bit uh, from the rest of that chapter, which I think um, frames some of the things that he was talking about, some of the things that we can uh, talk about. Uh, the passage he talked about uh, was Ephesians uh, 3 go back to 9 verse 9 I'll go to 8 to me Paul says uh, the very least of the saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery for ages which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things and that mystery was the revelation of, of the gospel uh, that Christ came to this world uh, lived his life and Paul and uh, the other apostles and and all uh, first century uh, signee uh, those who signed on to to promote uh, God's word um, that was that was that was their role to reveal that mystery in order that the, and here's here's the key passage that he read, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Their job was to preach that, but notice it, he didn't stop with just them. He said, through the church. The church, that institution uh, for which Christ died. Um, the reason he came to uh, this earth to seek and save those who were lost and those who would respond to his message would be added to that church If you go into uh, the next chapter <clears throat> Just across the, the a column there In my Bible It says And, and these are our roles Within the first century church And he gave some as apostles Some as prophets And some as evangelists And some as pat- pastors And teachers For the equipping of the saints Those people in the church For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then he goes on to talk about that body. But the very next section of chapter 4, uh, chapter, uh, four is about the Christian walk. How does the Christian fit into this. Yes, he gave some to play leading roles for uh, preparing us, but what is our role as well? And in verse 17, he says, This I say therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you who walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Obviously, he was talking about a uh, group of people there that had not responded. But in verse 20, he says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, Be angry and sin, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And it just occurred to me that that passage right there (sighs) epitomizes what he was just talking about with his ability to help others because of his experiences. I'll read that again. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So, if I'm going to pull one larger Point from all that he had to say and he had a lot to say and there are, are many things that we could talk about in there but there is a struggle he starts out with Job there is this struggle between good and evil uh, Chris and I were just talking beforehand about uh, the latter passages of Daniel with uh, Gabriel and, and Michael and you know in in uh, in warfare with with uh evil with satan and i don't know what all that means i I, mean, I i would hate to have to teach that and i have taught that before and just kind of left that <laughs> off to the side and yeah. said okay here's what it says you know here are the possibilities you make up your own mind but things like that and and job uh, himself you know that situation as i said to ask chris was that typical of God and his dealing with man or was that atypical? Not for us to decide today. The larger point that he is trying to make in in this is that we have a purpose here on this earth. We as the church, we as individuals, as Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4 will tell us is that we need to help good overcome evil. We need to do it in our lives and we need to do it as far as others are concerned. He goes back over here and says our job was to reveal that mystery. Well guess what, that mystery has been revealed. I think it talks about that earlier uh, in Ephesians 3. So now what do we do with it? We hide it under a bushel? No. We don't do that. Our job is to share that marvelous, marvelous information. That information that can transform people's lives here on this earth, but that's not the important transformation. It can transform people's lives for the next life, not on this earth. And so uh, the larger picture is there is a battle. Between good and evil, and that's the the Bible is full of that message. Jesus came to give us a means of give us a weapon to help us become instruments, so that God's plan for mankind that we mentioned in Second Peter, uh, what was that? Second Peter three. That his, his purpose is for all men to repent. His plan is that all men will repent and that no one will perish. And the question that he asks us at the end with that very uh, poignant uh, story there, you know, are, are we God's instruments? Does he look down at us and say, can't use that one today. Uh, he's off on something else. He's not even thinking about spiritual things hmm, come to think about it, he hasn't thought about spiritual things for quite a while. Let's hope that's not us. Let's hope that we can help God fulfill his plan that all men should repent and uh, turn to God and that no souls will be lost. We know, as he said, some will. Uh, The Bible is full of uh, that warning that God will do what he says he will do. A fair and just God would follow through with justice how's that for a start
2: (laughs) it's pretty strong go ahead uh, jump in uh, in 2003 Kelly and I were in college and we got the opportunity to go to New Zealand on a mission trip if you ever get the opportunity to go you should go it's beautiful Um, very hilly as we walked or as we flew into the airport there's a massive golem you know Lord of the Rings was, was done there um film there so the golems coming up over the airport it's beautiful but one of the main things that we ask people as we're walking around uh, wellington is why do you think you're here like what's your purpose here and uh, it's interesting that a lot of the answers you usually get three or four or five different kinds of answers uh, and usually the answers are what paul says in ephesians 4 17 through 19 you know the uh, sensuality greedy Impurity. Uh, after all those kinds of things, and he said, "Well, isn't there more? Shouldn't there be more? Aren't you, are you satisfied with that?" And almost everybody was like, "Yeah, you know, I wish there was more." I'm like, well, let me sit down and tell you that there is more, and he has a purpose for you, and that purpose, part of that purpose at the very least, is to get inside the church and to be the church, not just come to church. Although that's necessary, obviously, too, but to be the church, you know, that to, to reconcile a lost and dying world to the only one who's capable of helping it. Um, and, and I thought very ably he talked about how we ought to be ministers in that respect, looking for opportunities to bring healing to others' pain, um, and that obviously provides an open door to teach the gospel, which is... Of the utmost importance
0: Um, I'll make this point Because you made it there Subtly You said uh, To enter the church And to uh, uh, Go to church Mm. Um, Church is used in two ways And it's not These words are not in the Bible uh, But we tend to refer to um, The church uh, In two particular aspects The first one is um, the church universal, the body of Christ. All those who are saved, all those who go through what is necessary for a person to become a Christian, all Christians are part of the church. Um, God has a plan, though, according to the New Testament examples that we find, that those people just don't walk around independently and 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 carry out uh, their lives and in, in a Christian manner. God wants us to worship Him. God wants us to work together. Um, this class I'm teaching right now online uh, is how to lead groups, and we talk a lot about uh, characteristics of groups and and how how groups interact with one another and don't interact with one another and and things of this sort God's purpose was for the church on this earth to spread his will, as we just read in Ephesians three and Ephesians four Well, like I say, we can do that all individually. we can go out and 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 all of us can you know talk to the people and maybe should talk to the people around us but God has decided through His wisdom that it's good for people to work together to carry this out. And uh, those those individuals, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers, some of those don't exist anymore because the need for them to reveal the word are no longer in existence. But evangelists and teachers are still certainly there. Elders, we know, have have a role to lead the local church. They don't lead out in the world, over all the Christians, they have oversight of those with whom they meet and worship and have organized themselves into a local body. And so, those local bodies, we hear about the church at Ephesus through the letter written to the church at Ephesus. Corinth, Galatia, you know, the seven churches of Asia, these were local congregations within a designated community. Churches that Paul and Peter and others traveled around and started. They preached until they had converted enough people to start a congregation. And then those people met on a regular basis uh, to not only worship, but to carry out the work of the church that he says back in Ephesians 3.10 is to promote. (laughs) That the wisdom of God might be made known to man. Now, I just shortened that to, so that God might be made known to man. If we're aware of God at all, maybe we could jump to the wisdom piece. But just the fact that God is, what He has done, uh, how He has set up this world and our responsibilities... Um, the church how we get into Him and into His Son um, all of those things are included uh, in His Word and all of those are things that we have a part in, in spreading we have an obligation we have our individual ministries to not only spread the wisdom of God or spread God but to also as it says right there at the end be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has uh, forgiven you. We need to help others. And he talks about um, ministries. All of us need to be ministers uh, to other individuals. And... Uh, uh, did you want to say something? And then I'll, I'll come back and, and make... Um, some final points.
2: Um, how many times have we said that? Like, what? Why am I here? Like, we say that a lot. I feel like, especially during this whole pandemic thing. Like, what am I? What am I supposed to do now? This is one of the yeah. things you can do right now. You can find a spot to serve. You can look uh, for a ministry to plug into. Those things haven't gone away. A lot of stuff has been taken away from us during this pandemic opportunities uh, that we have become accustomed to over the last hundred years or so (laughs) have been taken away from us but something that hasn't been taken away from us is some of the other opportunities that he's been talking about you can still call someone up and encourage them you can still look for an opportunity to help someone you can still grab a picnic lunch and go out and encourage one of the members of the congregation here you can go next door and talk to your neighbor about what God has done in your life and talk to them uh, um, in an evangelistic manner, Uh, those are things that we should have been doing all along. And that's kind of where my mind's been over the last several weeks, maybe months. Uh, So so much stuff has been taken from us, but it's forced us to get back to brass tacks, I guess, and, and the foundational purposes of the church. And this is one of the foundational purposes of the church, what am I doing here? Well, I'm here to bring glory to God. I'm here to make Him famous. I'm here to bring healing uh, to, to hurting people. And He's the only one that can do that.
0: So, doing. Doing is, is one thing um, that we can do. We can uh, get up out of our chairs and get out of our houses and and go and do. Well, you might say... I don't think I can do that. I don't I'm I'm not prepared to talk to others um about about God. Um I don't know enough. Maybe I'm just a new convert or maybe I have not spent as much time in my life devoting myself to learning God's word to be able to effectively do that. And I don't want to go out and mess it up. I may only get one shot at that person and if i if I mess that up then then maybe I have affected their salvation. well, there's something you can do, and it's prepare yourself for going and doing that later on. If you feel like your skills are are lacking or are deficit, your knowledge of the Bible is uh inferior um to to others that you don't believe that you could. Uh, effectively carry God's word to someone else then what are you doing here i think clayton's point is here that that we can all serve some purpose we can help others if if nothing else in their times of need um but we can also spend whatever time we have here preparing ourselves all of us can get to a, a at least a minimal level of competency in talking with others about the love of God, becoming a Christian, and living a Christian life. It's right there. You just have to read it. You just have to study it. In that passage it says, uh, Always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you is a command, as we have said. Be ready. Be prepared. To always have an answer for the hope of heaven that lies within us. Um, If we can't do that, or we won't do that, then I got a feeling, like Clayton says, he's looking down and saying, "If if that person would only become an instrument, they would be useful in my purpose for saving mankind. So we all have that obligation and we all need to determine that we're going to get to that stage. Whether or not we go out and, and, and proselyte uh, actively uh, and proactively on the corner of downtown New York, I... That may not be for everyone, but if you do ever have the opportunity and you're not ready, I think you're going to be held accountable. If you do have the opportunity and you don't speak up, especially if you can and do a good job of it, if you don't speak up, you're going to be held accountable. I'm convinced of that. I think the scriptures tell us that. It's a form of denial. It's a form of denying Christ and denying God when we don't stand up for His Word when we have the opportunity. Silence is denial. And so we have to be prepared and we have to do whatever we can did you want to say anything else before I make these last two points?
2: That's it. I'm
0: good. So, back to Job. Uh Job went through an awful lot. And that's, that's probably the grossest understatement uh, uh that that has has ever been made. Um I don't know very few of us have ever been um exposed to the kind of misfortune that Job was exposed to. Job held true to God's opinion of him. Job knew that he hadn't sinned. Job knew that he was an upright uh, individual and um, shunned evil. His friends tried to convince him otherwise. His wife tried to convince him otherwise. Um, He stood firm. But he still asked god why why is this happening um, is, mankind wants a reason
2: hmm.
0: it got to be a reason, so um, God exposes job to um the difference between man and God. And we can talk about you know uh, whether that was um a kind thing to do (laughs) we have to say that it was the right thing to do because God did it God said to Job here I am and here you are don't question God God is the absolute superior to us he is our creator and what he says goes. Rolled into that is, he loves us. He gave a son for us. He created our world for us. So it's not like he hasn't done anything for us. And so the question I would ask is, right here as we end, um, how would we respond if we had been Job? Job says, I had this feeling, but now. I know. Now I see with my eyes. Job praises him for the opportunity to testify as to the goodness of God and that good will ultimately overcome evil. And so I would ask the question, you know, how would we respond? What would we do? Would we Take advantage of that opportunity to demonstrate that our goal here in this life is focused somewhere else, or would it be on poor, poor, pitiful me? Next lesson is number 13. I haven't looked at what the title is, but I'm sure John will give us another uh, interesting um, adventure to talk about. Thank you for your, your time and your attention.